All right, open your Bibles with me to John. John chapter 7. Are you glad that you're saved today? Amen. Amen. I want to preach to you today out of John chapter 7 on this subject, finishing up our, our theme of engage, and it's engage difficulty. Engage difficulty. Have you ever noticed that life can get hard? You ever noticed that? Life can get hard. And this text demonstrates how Jesus Christ encountered those same kinds of things. Coming up on April 5th, we have Easter Sunday. And Easter Sunday, we're going to be introducing our new theme for the year and and a lot of new ideas and new plans. And they're building as we go. Lots of ideas of things that are going to happen. But we need you to invite someone. We need you to invite someone. And um, it's going to be an exciting day. People will come to church on Easter Sunday that won't come any other Sunday. And so they're going to hear the gospel, but they're also going to hear, we're going to invite them to the unveiling of many things here at Grace Baptist throughout the month of April. So be sure and invite somebody that day. And this message this morning, let's read our text. We're going to read John chapter 7. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. And then we're going to look at this subject of engage difficulty. Look at verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee... For he would not walk in Jewry. So he's in Galilee and not walking in Jewry or Judea. The reason for that was they wanted to kill him because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou doest these things, show thyself to the world. Now look at verse 5. For neither did his brethren believe him. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up unto this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. When he had said these words unto them, He abode still in Galilee. And we'll read the rest of the verses here in a minute. I want you to notice a couple of things about this text. First of all, I want you to see Jesus Christ's commentary on uh, martyrdom. Jesus Christ's commentary on martyrdom. Look at what it says in verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill him. Um, You know, there are people who believe that it is their job to die for God. Right? They join groups like ISIS, Al-Qaeda, other groups, and they believe that it is their job to die for God, to go and kill people and kill themselves, martyr themselves for God. That's not what Jesus Christ said. What Jesus Christ did here was he avoided the place where they were going to persecute him so he'd have the opportunity to give the gospel to others. Later on, he instructs his disciples, if you go into a city and you preach, they don't want to hear you, shake the dust off your feet and go to the next city. We don't have to stay in a place and suffer persecution. Now, if God brings that to your doorstep and you have to either die or deny Christ, then the Lord will give you that what's called dying grace. He will give you the ability to die for him. But don't go looking for it. Remember what they did for the Apostle Paul. They lowered him down over a wall and got him out of there so that he wouldn't die. This is Jesus Christ's commentary 
on martyrdom. It is okay to go somewhere else to keep from dying. Amen? It's okay. And you know what believers have done all through the years? They've helped people get to places of safety. They've helped them do that. that, that is, that's a part of Christian and church history that's important for us to know. And so what Jesus Christ said here was, you don't have to die for the faith. You can go somewhere else. Then look at what he says. Verse 3. This is such an interesting part. This is, this is Jesus Christ's confrontation with his brothers. His brethren therefore said unto him, now his, his brethren, how many of you know people who don't believe or who believe that Mary only had Jesus, never had any other children. How many of you know somebody that believes that way? Who are these guys then? You see, the Bible teaches that Mary had other children. Look, keep your place in John. Go to Mark chapter 6. Mark 6, look at verse 3. So Jesus Christ is coming to His own country. That's Nazareth. And here's what they say about Him. So it's Mark 6, 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? So James there, James wrote the book in the Bible called James. Judah there wrote the book in the Bible called Jude. But they weren't saved yet. Look at what this says. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. So he had four brothers and several sisters. That's what the Bible says. I'm going to believe the Bible just as it's written. So that concept, that doctrine of the perpetual virginity of Mary, it's just not found anywhere in the Scriptures. It's not a biblical thing. It comes from something else. It's not from the Bible. Uh, look at Psalm chapter 69, the 69th Psalm. This is a Messianic psalm speaking of Jesus, prophesying Jesus Christ. And look at what it says. Psalm 69, look at verse 8. I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. And that's what happened. Jesus Christ... He was not accepted by his family. Before Jesus Christ went to the cross, his family did not believe in him. How many of you have unbelieving family members? Would you raise your hands. Now hold them up so everybody can see. Turn around. You have to pray for these brothers and sisters. You have to pray for them. So what do we mean when we talk about unbelieving? The Bible says that in order to be saved, you need to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you have to believe. And what do you believe? According to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what you believe, it's called the gospel. The word gospel means a word from the Lord. And a word from the Lord about your eternal life is this. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We don't deserve to go to heaven. We deserve to go to hell because we are sinners. Is that right? The Bible says we're all sinners. The Bible says there's none that doeth good, no, not one. Uh, sometimes people will say, why do bad things happen to good people? They don't. There aren't any good people. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. We all deserve to go to hell, every one of us. That's why Jesus Christ came into the world. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. And then He died on the cross. He was beaten. He was bloodied. He was beaten so badly, He was not recognizable as a human being. That's how badly He was beaten. Then He was nailed to a cross, and He died 
And he did that for you and for me. Why? Why? Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Someone had to die for my sin. Either me or Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ did it. Isn't that wonderful? So what do you have to believe? You have to believe that you're a sinner, that Jesus Christ is God. He was born of a virgin. He died on the cross in your place, that He was buried, and that He rose from the dead the third day, proving that He was, is, and always will be God. And that's what the world celebrates on Easter. Of course, that's what we celebrate every Sunday. That's why we come here on the first day of the week to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Are you glad Jesus Christ rose from the dead? I am so glad too. And when we talk about being a believer, that's what you believe. And you believe that the only way that you can go to heaven is by believing that and asking Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and be your Savior. You can't be good enough. You can't give enough money to go to heaven. You can't go to church enough to go to heaven. You can't be a good enough person. You can't donate enough of your time. You can't sacrifice enough. You can't be beaten enough. There's no way that you can go to heaven unless you receive Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Salvation is received as a gift, as a gift. The Bible says this in the book of 1 John. There's only two kinds of people in the world. Not short and tall, not black and white. There's only two kinds of people in the world. The Bible says, he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So how do you get the Son of God? The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just ask Him to save you. Just tell Him, Lord, I can't be good enough to go to heaven. I, I believe that You're God. Please forgive me for my sins and save me. Save me. I can't save myself. Please save me. Brother Lapish, is that the message of the Fellowship Track League? Is that what's printed on those 4.2 billion tracks that have gone around the world? This is the gospel of Jesus Christ that has been preached by gospel-preaching churches going all the way back to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our message. So when we talk about believers, that's what we talk about. When I had folks raise their hands a minute ago, and I said, how many of you have family members who are unbelievers? These are people who they may believe that Jesus existed. They may believe that He died on the cross and rose from the dead, but they don't believe that it's only through Jesus Christ that you have salvation. They think that you have to add something to that. That's not salvation. That's not salvation. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6 says, If any man brings another gospel unto you which is not another, let him be accursed. That's what he, there's only one gospel. That is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. That's it. Now, those of you who believe that, and you have family members, and now you're going to get together with family members coming up on Easter Sunday. You're going to, before that or after that, you're going to get together with your family. And some of you are going to face opposition because you've chosen to follow the Lord Jesus Christ with your life. You said, Lord Jesus, not only did you save me, but now, now that you've saved me, now that I know for sure that I'm going to heaven, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to be a disciple. A disciple of Jesus Christ is not somebody who's saved. Judas was one of the disciples. Isn't that interesting? Judas, you know, there are people that are following Jesus Christ who aren't even saved. Following Jesus Christ does not save you. Believing in Jesus Christ saves you. And then after you believe, Jesus said, come unto me for salvation. Then he said, come after me for service. And so those of us who are saved, 
and who are choosing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ with our lives, we're disciples of Jesus Christ. When you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, that is going to fly in the face of much of what's going on in the world. Is that right? When you choose to live for Jesus Christ, there are things you are going to do that other people don't do. And here, here's what will happen sometimes. Uh, AJ, are you saved? What are you doing giving your money to the church? They got enough money. What are you doing? What? Uh, you run into some financial trouble, and so then you go to the news, and they help you with that, with their, their, all their money. No, here, here's, here's <laughs> Dodie, does this happen too often? Okay. So, so here's Dan. He runs into some, some financial trouble. Now, his mom was a wonderful Christian lady, but imagine she wasn't. Dan runs into fi some financial trouble. They're talking about it, and here's what she says. Well, then why do you give your money to the church? Of course, Alice would have beaten him if he didn't, but that's a different, different thing. How many of you ever had somebody say something like that to you? Right? You do things, you, do, you live differently. Why do, why do you make your children behave in a different way? These are the things that you run into. Why do you live a life that is so different? You used to come to these parties that we have. You don't come to those parties anymore. And you run into struggles because of things that you do and other things that you no longer do, and even family members look at you like you're crazy. You've lost your mind. Well, I want you to know the same thing happened to Jesus. Look at what it says. John chapter 7. Look at verse 3. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea. Now, now look at what it says. Verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, that's the land of Judea. And read, read it out loud with me. Because the Jews sought to kill him. So why, why wasn't he going to walk in Judea? The Jews were going to kill him. What did his brothers say? Go to Judea. Can you believe that? When people are steeped in a man-made religion, they can hate you to the point of death when you believe something differently than they do. It's an amazing thing. This is what our Savior went through. Then look at what it says. Verse 3 again. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. Look at what he says. Look at what they tell him. They're mocking him. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. You say you're the Messiah. You say you're the Son of God. Show it to the world. Quit hiding. And what was the world going to do to him? They were going to kill him. They were going to kill him. What is this? This is Jesus Christ's commentary on conflict in the home. You are going to run into conflict in your home. It might be your immediate home. It might be your extended family. But when you choose to live for Jesus, there will be conflict. Isn't it wonderful when your whole family's saved? You know, I was just talking with mocking Dan and Dodie about their wealth. Um, you know, it's wonderful to see Wade and Stacy in here and Brent and Carrie and their kids are saved. And Alice that we mentioned. So Alice and, and, and Harley, they're saved and they lead 
the, the kids get saved, and now the, the grandkids are saved, and the great-grandkids are saved and wanting to serve the Lord. So you new kids down here, you want to serve the Lord, don't you? You're not making me a liar, are you? Okay, good. It, it's, it, it's such a wonderful thing. My dad, um, he, he, was, he ran track at Pueblo High School in Pueblo, Colorado. And his senior year, one of the kids on the track team invited him to church. And he'd never heard the gospel before. When he was a kid, he went to a Methodist church, and the teacher told him, when you die, you're going to stand before God, and there's a set of scales. And your good works will be put on one side of the scales, and your evil works will be put on the other side of the scales. And whichever way you go, whichever way the scales go, that's where you're going. My dad was scared to death because he knew he wasn't good. His senior year of high school, he went to this church, uh, Park Hill Baptist Church in Pueblo, Colorado. And that day he got saved, 18-year-old boy. He got saved. Isn't that exciting? A few years later, God called him to preach, and he gave his life to the Lord to follow the Lord with his entire life. And he was going to go to Bible college. And when he announced he was going to go to Bible college, his parents said, we're done with you. His mother said, I won't have a mooch in my family. She wouldn't let him sleep in his bed. They wouldn't go to his high school graduation. I only saw my grandparents maybe twice, three times my entire life. I never saw him. I have aunts and uncles. I don't know. I have an aunt I only saw, I've only seen one time in my life. I don't know them. I don't know them. What happened? My father made a decision to follow the Lord. Do you know what happened? I've got three sisters and one brother. We're all saved. The kids are saved. I get to raise Jacob and Lydia. I got to marry a godly lady. I get to raise Lydia and Jacob to serve the Lord. And they're going to serve the Lord. You know that, that saying? It says, if you love someone, let them go. And if they don't return hunt them down and kill them. That's the way that I finish that. So my kids, when they go away, they're going to serve the Lord or it's, it's, it's going to be bad. But anyway, it, because my dad made the decision to serve the Lord, we get to have a great life. But it cost him conflict in his home. Uh, keep your place here in John. Just put a marker there. Go to Luke chapter 12. I want you to see something. Look at verse 51. So Luke 12, verse 51. Sometimes that great theologian wrote a song, I beg your pardon, I never promised you a rose garden. Right? Look at this right here. Look at verse 51. So here's what Jesus said. Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth, I tell you, nay, but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son and the son against the father, the mother against the daughter and the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. What did Jesus Christ promise? If you're going to follow me, there's going to be division in your home. I mean, there have to be. Wouldn't it be better if everybody just got saved and followed Jesus Christ, lived for Him? Wouldn't that be better? Man, what a, great, what a great life that is. But Jesus Christ never promised you that. It's funny how people 
there can be 300 verses in the Bible and one verse has some information that they think applies to all 300 other verses. You know that there's only one verse in the Bible where the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. That's Acts chapter 16. That's, that's what the Apostle Paul said to the Philippian jailer. Remember, uh, Paul and Silas were in prison and they were singing and praying and they were in chains and God sent an earthquake and the doors were opened and the, the, the bonds were free and the jailer knew he was going to die and he was going to kill himself. And he says, wait, wait, do thyself no harm. We're all here. Somehow the Apostle had kept all the prisoners in this jail. And so the guy comes up to him and he's been hearing him saying and all of this. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus and Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And the next thing you know, he's got the apostle Paul in his house and Paul preaches to them and they bind his wounds and care for him. And then the whole family is saved and they're all baptized right there. So when Paul said to that man, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house... That's not a promise for Brother Lapish. That was a promise for the Philippian jailer. There's another promise that might be true for you. You might have five in your house, three against two. That might be your house. That's what Jesus said. So sometimes we have an expectation of something that Jesus Christ never promised. What He promised us was eternal life. He promised us that all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That is the human condition. That's where we are. Now, how many of you pray that your family will get saved? And isn't it wonderful when God does that? Isn't it wonderful? When, I'm so glad that my whole family saved. We, we, have a, we have a Christian home. Laura's family. She has three brothers and one sister. All serving the Lord. All of them serving the Lord. Their kids are saved, serving the Lord. That's the family that Laura and I, those are the families that Laura and I got to grow up in. Why did that happen? Well, there was a man, and I wish I could think of his name right now. He used to come down and walk across this bridge, way across a field, to give the gospel to some Mormons that he knew. And he'd come week after week after week to give these people the gospel. That man who was the Mormon was Laura's grandfather. Later on in a church service, his grandmother, her grandmother couldn't believe that she could get saved. In a church service, finally, quite a while later, she came running down the aisle and she realized it's for me too. Amen. It's for me too. And so Laura's family gets to be saved. They get to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Isn't that just a wonderful thing? See, that's our hope for all of you. But what I want you to know is when you go to Easter dinner and you walk into that house and you have conflict because you've chosen to follow the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, because you followed possibly to leave the religion that the family has been associated with, when you go into that house, you need to understand that Jesus Christ was in that house before you. The Bible says in Mark chapter 6 and verse 4, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin. How about that? Look at the text. John, we're back at Luke, John chapter 6.
Look at verse 5. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Can you imagine how hard that was? There's another passage of Scripture where they came to see Jesus, and the crowd was too great. They couldn't get to him, and um, they, they had to send a note. What the Bible says is they came to lay hold on him, for they said he is beside himself. They thought Jesus was crazy. His own family thought Jesus Christ was crazy. And remember, here's the famous thing Jesus Christ said. They sent him a note, and they said, Your mother and brethren are here to get you. And he said, Who are my mother and brethren? But they that keep my words. Isn't that interesting? Do you know what happens when you get saved and you follow Christ? God gives you a different family. God gives you a new family. It doesn't mean that you don't love your family. It doesn't mean you're not a part of them anymore. But what God does is He gives you a new family. Think about the picture of Job. Job went through all of that trouble. He went through all that trouble. He lost his entire family. They were gone. Do you know what God did? Gave him an entire new family. Replaced it all. Replaced it all. Do you know that it's impossible for you to sacrifice anything for Jesus Christ? That He doesn't repay you? Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. He can give you so much. How many of your family's crazy? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) We all have it. We all have it. You know, I tell people, if you want to understand the altar family, I'm the calm one. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Of course, they would all argue about that, but it's true. It's true. Listen, you know what God's going to do? He's going to give you a new family. And what's even better is when He gives you the new family and saves your old one. Look at the text. This is an interesting thing. Look at the way Jesus confronts His brothers. Verse 6, Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. You see that? My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. Look at um, verse 8. Go ye up unto this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. What is Jesus Christ saying? My time. His time to die. In another place, other places, four other places, He says, Mine hour is not yet come. It was the hour of His crucifixion, His death. What I love is Jesus Christ is always in complete control of the situation. He was going to die, but it was on his own terms. The, the Bible says in, in John chapter 10, No man takes my life, but I lay it down willingly. No man killed Jesus because no one can. Who, ha- who would have the power to take Jesus Christ and kill him? No, if you're going to spoil a person's house, you've got to first bind the strong man. And there's nobody that can bind Jesus Christ. He laid his life down willingly. He was in complete control. His brothers are saying, go ahead, go up to the feast. And notice how the feast is described. Look at verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry. Look at verse 2. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. It's supposed to be the Lord's feast of tabernacles. But it's the Jews, they, they had taken it over and made it a religious holiday rather than a time of worship representing the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, this, this, in this religion, they've moved away from God. Jesus Christ knows that if He goes up to that feast, they'll kill Him. But Jesus Christ isn't going to be crucified on tabernacles. He's going to be crucified on Passover. Why? 1 Corinthians says that Jesus Christ is our Passover. Jesus Christ died on Passover. Why? That Passover lamb, it pointed to Him. It represented Him. He fulfilled every bit of it. He had His time. And He said, My time is not yet come. Not yet. 
But look at what he said to his brothers. Look at the confrontation to his brothers. Verse 6, Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. Do you know what he's doing? This is is a a cross-reference to this is where the Bible says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Now, you young people, it's hard for you to get this. Do you know you're not promised another day? I wasn't pastor here very long when a young man was driving to school and he pulled out in front of someone and was killed. Another young man was fooling around and he stepped out, out of a van that was only going about two miles an hour and he fell and was killed. You're not promised another day. You're not promised. You adults, you're not promised. Another, oh, I'll get right with God someday. You're not promised someday. You're not promised someday. That's what Jesus Christ is saying. My time. My time has not yet come. Your time could be right now. You do not know how much longer you have to live. That's what Jesus Christ was saying. Keep your place in John. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. What Jesus Christ is saying right there, do you know what He's telling them? He's telling them, I am God. How do we know that? Because Jesus Christ knew everything that was in the Bible. Would you all agree with that? All right, because He is the living Word. He knew everything that was in the Bible. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 8. There is no man that hath power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit. Neither hath he power in the day of death, and there is no discharge in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. Look, what's this saying? We're all going to die. There's no discharge in that war. You can say, I quit. It doesn't matter. You're still a part of the human race. There is coming a day when you're going to die. Now, uh, I love this math. You ready for gospel math? How many of you don't like math? All right, here's some gospel math that we'll all be able to get. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Isn't that a blessing? Right? Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. We're all born into this world. Is there anyone here who is not born? No, no. There's only one way to come into the world. You have to be born. Is that right? And then Jesus Christ said, you must be born again. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? Because if you are in this world, unless the Lord Jesus Christ returns, you're going to die. It might be today. It might be 100 years from now. You're going to die. And you have no power. You don't have any power to retain the spirit. You don't have any power to do it. No man has that power. What did Jesus Christ say? No man takes my life. I lay it down willingly. Then what happened on the cross? And he cried, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And he yielded up the ghost. He yielded up the ghost. He was in control of his spirit, wasn't he? What was he telling? What's he telling his brothers? I'm God. You're not. I choose when I die. You don't know when you're going to die. You must be born again. You see, when you go in to your family this week, next week, and they give you grief because of what you believe, don't take it personally. Don't respond in anger. Don't respond in bitterness. Don't be passive aggressive. They're giving you business. Well, at least my kids know how to behave. Where'd you learn that? You learned it from the scriptures. You don't, that, that's not any pride on your part. Amen? 
We're just beggars showing other beggars where we found bread. Make sure that when you go into that home, you are not responding in anger. Why? Because you never know when you're going to have another opportunity to speak up for Christ. You never know when you're going to have an opportunity. And if, that, if your brother or your sister, your mom, your dad, your mother-in-law, your daughter-in-law, your son-in-law, your father-in-law, whatever it is, if they get angry with you because of your behavior and then they die without having the opportunity to hear the gospel, what a great weight that would be on your shoulders. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to have faith in God. Look at what it says. Go back to John chapter 7. Look at what it says in verse 7. Now, this is what Jesus Christ is saying to His brothers, His lost brothers. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. So why doesn't the world hate them? Because their deeds are evil. They fit into the world perfectly. Why would the world hate them? The world loves them. You know what the world's going to hate about you? Righteousness, holiness, godliness. So have a good attitude. Have a smile. Have a pleasant, peaceful spirit. Has the Lord given you peace and joy and grace? Has He given you that fruit of the Spirit? Has He given you long-suffering? Has He given you that? Has He given you that? Well, exhibit it when you're with your family because nobody can push your buttons like your family. Listen, when you go into your family, just love them. Just love them. I want you to think about something. For someone that's not saved, whatever this life is, this is as good as it's going to get. You have eternity with God, eternity with Jesus Christ, no sin, no sorrow, just wonderful worship with your Savior for all eternity. We want that for our families, don't we? We want that. What you need to understand is we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might find mercy and strength to help in time of need. Your time of need is going to be when you go into your family. Jesus Christ went there first. He's been through it. He's been through it. They don't hate you. They hate Jesus. They don't hate you. They hate it because your life is an indictment on the evil world that they love. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be holy. But we are supposed to be so kind and so loving and so gracious that they think, good night, the body snatchers have come. Who are you? We're supposed to be different. Amen? We're supposed to be peculiar. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared from heaven to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live righteously and soberly and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Christ Jesus, who died that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. My dad, when he'd use that verse, he'd say peculiar. It doesn't mean... <laughs> You're like this. It means that you're different from the world, but not in a way that brings reproach because you're weird, but in a way that you live in a holy life that brings an indictment on the evil world. And yet your life and your godliness and your personality is so winsome that you draw people to Jesus Christ. And then you're able to speak words that pierce their heart and the Holy Spirit draw them to Himself through your godly life and your godly witness. Wouldn't it be great if you could engage difficulty? 
and go into that home and represent Jesus Christ and lead them to Him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word.